The stage is set. The goats have been selected. Near and far, they'll be on their way. To the big stage in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Before they make their big walk, Ringside sits down to talk with their breeders. To find out what makes these special goats worthy of the big stage. So listen in as we turn on the spotlight that'll make these goats shine so bright. Welcome to Ringside's ADGA Spotlight Sales Special Episodes. What's up, everyone, and welcome to Ringside. I'm John, and as always, I'm joined by the awesomest co-host who hasn't bred goats yet, Danielle Caroli. What's up? Lies. Have you bred a goat? Oh, I've bred two. Did or you? Was it the awesomest? Oh, oh, you bred two. Okay. And you obviously <laughs> missed my text message about the first breeding we did did you send it today no this was several days ago what this was several you days didn't message you didn't text me it was a message no. it was in a, it was in a group chat oh well that could have easily been messed if it was in the ffs group chat that we have uh, because there's a lot that goes on in that group chat so things can be easily missed so you bred a goat or two like you said that's huge notice how i am being very supportive and am happy that you've bred your goats and i'm not making any snide comments like oh just about all your goats are bred now yes well listen <laughs> you know these things happen facts are facts, facts you're are right facts. that was literally a sixth or a seventh of my herd or sixth of my herd was bred that day so yes you're right yeah so okay so you're at a sixth i'm at about a sixth too so perfect yeah yeah well congratulations breeding season is here we are big kids now <laughs> yeah i uh this doe was in heat i just said okay she can get bred I brought her out to the buck and was playing music on my phone and decided to change the song to Girls Just Want to Have Fun, crossing my fingers for some doe kids, figuring I might as well just put out, hopefully, the vibe that or, you know, the desire from this breeding. It was beautiful. By the time girls just want to have fun was over, the buck was back in his pen and the doe was back in hers. So it was great. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And hey, maybe that'll be a registered name that you can play with for if you have a doe kid. Yeah, it doesn't quite work with that line, but we'll see. We'll make it work if we need to. I'm sure I could get creative with it. Yeah. So we bred two does. I thought I was going to be breeding more. I missed my window for my AI so and I did want to have her cedared anyway and PG 600 and all of that fun stuff so I wasn't too stressed out about that one 
And then I had a doe that had discharge in the morning, but wanted to wait because I didn't really want to go into work smelling like a buck for some reason. I know, weird, but it is weird. Waited a couple hours, and by the time I was done with work, she wasn't in a standing heat. I don't know if she ever really was in a standing heat. She was not standing for the buck. So I said, okay, we're not getting you bred yet. We'll put a cedar in her as well and see if that helps. I think for so often with my herd, these first heats are just not necessarily always the strongest and easily detectable. We're just going to see how it all goes. At least yeah. I'll have two milkers for next year. Well, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, pretty much have been doing the same thing. My heats, I'm not sure if I missed anybody. We've been getting just so much rain lately. Like, literally, I pulled into work the other day and our, and somebody was like, welcome to Seattle, because it just has been nonstop raining. And I was like, yeah, yeah. With that, I don't, I when it's raining, I just do my chores real quick, make sure everybody's good. And walk out, right? So I'm not like, oh, let's see, who's, mm, are you wagging? No, okay. You know, I'm not spending 45 minutes in there. I'm just, feed them, take a look real quick. Nobody's in obvious heat, walk out. I was like, I am getting really close to not having February, a February kid next year. So we need to start walking the buck up. So I grab Ozzy, my yearling, and I'm like, all right, buddy, let's go. And he goes walking up to the barn, and there's a doe starts flicking her tail. And I was like, oh, there we go. So she stands for him. And I was like, man, that was right at the end of the heat. This is terrible. Like, she's going to have bucks, you know, because that's what everybody's like, oh, you know, the beginning of the heat's the best. Well, then the next day she was in like raging heat. So I was like, ooh, we got her like right when she was standing for a buck, like when she would. So fingers crossed for pink. Please, everybody cross your fingers. I don't need another year like last year. But yeah, we're we're off and running. And I think I've got a doe that's going to be coming in tomorrow because I brought the buck up tonight and he was just kind of paying her a little bit more attention and she wasn't standing for him, but she also wasn't, like, trying to run away. Like, oh, my gosh, a murderer is after me. We'll see. Very exciting. It is. I, I love breeding season and the thoughts of what's going to go into spring, you know, what's coming out of there and all that good stuff. It's just, it's like all the the planning and dreams come to fruition in springtime. So right now it's like the, you get to pour all of the different hopes and dreams into different jars and seeing if they mix well right beautiful analogy really a beautiful Thank analogy you. i try you know <laughs> danielle we are fast approaching convention for this year i know it's one of those things that it was on our calendar i mean i think we've said it on the podcast but unfortunately neither john nor myself will be attending the convention but it was on our calendar because we knew there was some planning involved on our part and when we put it on our calendar it seemed far far away but as this year is going we are almost to convention time 
Yes. Yeah. It's it's like trying to herd cats between yours and my schedule, plus all of these various breeders' schedules. And uh, there's a few that we still have to try to talk to, and and we're trying. Um, it just depends if we get any word back. But yeah, we've been spending a lot of time and effort in this, and it's honestly like I don't want it to sound like we're complaining because we're not. Like I don't know about you, Daniel, but this has been just an awesome process to talk to another group of breeders and some of them repeat some of them not and just to hear all of these people talk about these special animals it's been like i don't know it's been like another a jolt of of latte or whatever it is that you drink espresso <laughs> good try good try <laughs> espresso is that it uh. well if i guess if you're saying a jolt of it would be an espresso shot yeah yeah, I mean, just stick with your previous analogy. I think you it's you been actually, awesome, man. Yeah, this oh no, a hundred percent. I am espresso great. I don't know. <laughs> I am so impressed with the breeders we've talked to, the passion that they all have, the drive they all have in their breeding programs, and even though we asked a lot of very similar questions to each of these breeders as we interviewed them. Every single one had different answers and yes. different approaches to their breeding program and then also their spotlight sale nomination. Just seeing that, or I guess hearing that would be a better way to put it, just truly is inspiring and i cannot wait to see these animals on stage yeah it's it's gonna be cool to watch somebody live live streaming the event and it's it's just it's a great lineup of animals and it'll be wonderful so yeah folks if if you're like well when's the spotlight sale it's october 21st this year in tulsa oklahoma if you can go go because convention is awesome, and I promise you the spotlight sale is so much fun. Just Even if you're not going to purchase anything, just to come in and sit and watch and watch these animals grace the stage, it's it's really cool. Daniel, do we have any ad good news for the week before we get moving? I don't think I have anything. Do you? Not really. I've heard grumblings of uh, Guernsey's getting really, really close to being registered. Uh, you were supposed to send me a post the other day, but it never came through, so I never saw it. But uh, you were talking oh my, about that. I sent you the post. No, I didn't get it. Oh, my God. You do not read anything I send, it sounds You didn't like. send it to me. Where'd you send it to me? If you say Facebook Messenger, I have the receipts. Hold on, I'm looking now. Legit <laughs> took a screenshot. No, because hold on, I have to see. Was it on this? This the poor <laughs> listeners are like, what is going on? <laughs> I well, it's now it's not loading. So, but oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, I I'm gave you enough information. It. You should have been able to track that down. <laughs> I've been busy. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. Just like the breeders for these spotlight sale animals have been busy making their herds amazing. And the person we're talking to today 
is just I just impressive. Everything that she's brought to Dairy Goats is just it's she's really an industry leader when it comes to productivity and also phenotype for dairy goats. And it doesn't matter the breed. So let's go ahead and hop right into this interview. I think everybody is going to love it. I agree. And we couldn't think of a more fabulous story to tell to start off our spotlight sale coverage for 2023. This week, we're joined by Dr. Acton of Tempo Farm to discuss her spotlight sale buck lot number one, Tempo Aquila Frozen in Time ET, who is an, an American alpine. We felt that such a special buck with a storied history behind him deserves a standalone episode with his amazing breeder. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Acton. Oh, Dr. Acton, could you uh, introduce yourself and your herd to our listeners? Uh, sure. Um, I'm Dr. Lauren Acton. Uh, I'm a veterinarian, retired at this point. Our herd is Tempo, Tempo Farm Dairy Goats. We raise Alpine Sonnens and a few La Manchas. We've had goats since 1960. Um, we moved to, Cal- uh, to Oregon, excuse me. Um, in 1994 and in 2011, we started an artisan dairy. Um, so we are actually a commercial dairy milking about 50 goats, give or take, um, depending on the time of the year. Um, I grew up in 4-H and started showing in 4-H uh, in the early 70s. I showed our first national show in 1978. And it's just been, you know, kind of building since then. I started my forge project with an alpine. Um, so alpines are, I always say alpines are my heart and sonnens are my head um, because they're near and dear to me. And uh, I'm very, very proud of Frozen. There's a, it took a lot to get this buck to the world. So in all your years of breeding dairy goats, what would you say has been the focus of your herd? The focus of our herd has always been functional type. Uh, yes, we show, but even before we, long, long before we were a commercial dairy, we also focused on production. We started on DHI test in 1972, and with the exception of a few college years, have been continuous since then. So we've always maintain that an animal should be beautiful, but that beauty should come from her ability to comfortably and do her job easily because she has correct confirmation. Yes, we like all the cosmetic attributes too, but the bottom line is, you know, that was my mom used to say, a vehicle can't run if it doesn't have a chassis and it doesn't have an engine and you can put all the paint on it you want and it still won't run. So that's what we've always focused on is the functional type. And in the post you made about Frozen, uh, you mentioned that in the 45 years of breeding and offering numerous spotlight sale animals, you felt he was the most special of them all. Can you tell us a little bit about him? Sure. We actually nominated our first spotlight sale animal in 1979. And, and I, I know that between the spotlight sale and the Colorama sale, we have over the years nominated more than 40 animals. Um, but this guy is something else. He was, um, you know, born as a frozen embryo from 
living um, and was the only one from that we were able to get to get to be a live kid from um, eight embryos from her. And he's just, he was one of those kids that the minute he hit the ground, he was beautiful and just full of himself and ready to take on the world. And just said, you know, here I am. Um, you know, everybody that was there the day he was born, you know, they just, we just kind of stood back and we all kind of had a few tears in our eyes that he was there. That's so cool. It really is. I think Frozen may have even gotten a teaser shout out earlier in one of our podcast episodes. I kind of want to talk a little bit before we really dive into who he is and the pedigree behind him, but can you kind of give us a little summary of the IV process and just that journey to get him here and be a nominee in the spotlight sale? Sure. Um, so his dam, Living Free, had been injured, actually had a broken back when she was four years old. And as she aged, she she had some difficulty getting around. So um, you know, she did all of her winning and all of her um, amazing things that she did in her life, her 95 score and all that, after she had her injury. But as she aged, production and, uh, you know, just life started to tell on her. So it was, she was freshening in November and had twin bucks, Livingston and Master Craftsman. Um, and then just, it became obvious after a few weeks that, she just wasn't going to really, you know, bounce back around. She's having difficulty using her front legs. And so I made the decision to put her down. And before I did, I contacted Transova and they have a laboratory about oh, six hours away from here. And so I took her up there and they, or I, but the Transova team and I harvested her ovaries. And I put her down and drove home and um, and left semen there for fertilization. So then they worked with those ovaries. They were able to recover 40 ova, um, which was pretty incredible considering that she had not been super ovulated and were able to get eight embryos from that using two different sires. And then those, those embryos were frozen because it was sort of an emergency kind of thing. And we didn't have recipients ready. And we just kind of put in two here, two there over the years since. That was in December of 2018. And we put the last two in last fall. And this time, one of them became a kid. And that was sort of the, the story how it goes. That's just, that's incredible. And I'm sure that was very emotional for everybody involved, but, you know, specifically you. And, you know, I kind of want to talk a little bit about her. You know, every year, Breeders are consigning spotlight sale animals that are truly special, but Frozen is even more so in our eyes and, you know, with his deep history and amazing animals behind him. I guess we should start with the question, just who is SGCH Tempo Aquila living free? Um, now I have to get emotional myself. Living was one of those... I don't, I'd like to say once in a lifetime, but she's actually very much like Weft. Um, those that is, she was a, a quiet doll. She was actually 11 
generations of a direct maternal line from my original foundation dough, uh, my original 4-H dough, um, and just each generation a little bit better or a little bit more genetically sound than the one before, um, obviously with some stars in the, you know, stars in there that uh, were what tenth tenth maternal dam was my original forage showmanship dough and you know just um, special doughs since then. But she was really an unassuming kid. Just she was the the first kid out of Yukon Jack, and we actually kept her just because she was his first kid and was old enough to freshen as a yearling. So we wanted to see what he would do because we were just you know really really thought we had the next big thing when when he was born and so she freshened as a yearling and she just looked so like a yearling should look um did she do a lot of winning i don't think i think she won her class every time but did she go out there and win a lot of big prizes no um but she came back as a two-year-old second freshener and we live in oregon so we're in northwest oregon but i i like to show in california especially in those days um, so we showed her in California, and she actually, as a two-year-old, finished her championship entirely in California, uh, which wow. meant that she had a 10- or 12-hour, sometimes a day-and-a-half call to get down there. Redga is actually where she finished her championship, um, and you know, it's, we do an overnight on our way down to Redga, so that's the club show. So here's a doe that's going against the best in the country who lived you know, a half hour away, and still after a day and a half, Paul, she can you know, stand up to them. And I think probably the best comment that I ever had about living was actually from Jennifer Bice, and it was at the show before that, which was a Northern California show that had this horrible snowstorm come in the second day, uh, or ice and windstorm that was a snowstorm in the mountains that I had to go over. And she'd won two rings the day before, and I was getting ready to, I said, like, I can't stay for the show. I just can't. I, I got to get out of here. This is crazy. And <laughs> Jennifer's like, that's okay. This is the kind of dough you don't want to finish too fast because she's too fun to show. And that's kind of summed her up as that, you know, I wanted to do more with her. So um, it just was one of those kind of doughs that if you ask her to do it, she was going to do it. And she was total performer in 2013 in, in St. Paul. And the only reason that we took her to St. Paul, I mean, we had planned on it, but she was injured shortly before that. And I needed to have her with me because I was literally afraid the stove was going to go down and there wouldn't be anybody home. And so we took her back. And in the process of dealing with chiropractors, and we, I met an acupuncturist. And she, as was described as a real meal deal, she was from Korea and spoke broken English. And so she said to me, she said, this this dough, this dough, she will do it. She will do it. And um, so she worked on her for an hour and a half and we showed her the next day and showed her the next day with 10 hours of milk in her because I didn't really want her to be uttered up. And she won her class and she went on to be total performer. And the comments were, you know, it's too bad she didn't make milk that day. <laughs> I thought she made plenty of milk. She just didn't, I didn't let her keep it. Um, and I think I was as proud of her that day as any day of her life. That's amazing. Now that we've covered the legend that is living free, can you 
tell us about Frozen's uh, full maternal line and paternal lines and you know just what's behind him that makes him so dang pretty and special. <laughs> well, his full maternal line, Living um, was the only kid that we kept out of her dam who was a doe that doesn't carry our herd name because we had sold the grand dam who had a hip injury to a small herd so that they could have a foundation doe and we sold her with a kid back and living was the kid back. So that was why the, the dam didn't have the, the herd name. Um, and the, the whole line, if you, you know, just go back, there's just, you know, feeling free and emotion, just um, breathe. Those that scored 92, those that were GCH does back in the, in the nineties um, and, and up into the, the early 2000s. And like I say, the, my original 4-H and foundation dough was, was 11 generations back. My original showmanship dough was 10 generations back. It's just an incredibly strong, solid line that has also branched out into our other um, Alpine dam lines. And then living herself has a final score, a dough that scored this year, final score 93. At 11 years old, she's had over 30,000 pounds of milk. She has another GCH daughter that's a 91. Um, she, she only ever had one other daughter besides those, so she was kind of stingy with the daughters. That's my only complaint about her. Uh, <laughs> and then sons like, you know, sons that went on, um, a lot of her early sons went on into commercial dairies because she was such a solid, strong production doe, and I have no qualms about selling uh, good bucks to commercial dairies. And, um, you know, then again, we kept Livingston and, and he's here um, and he's done an amazing job with some uh, four GCH three-year-olds, two of which are already 92s and, and uh, most of them have won a best in show, if not all of them. Um, so it's, you know, it's just an incredibly, incredibly solid line. And then um, Frozen is actually very, very much line bred on Yukon Jack. Yukon Jack was living free sire. Yukon Jack was also the sire of this year's national champion West, and he was uh, the premier sire in 2012. And again, this year, um, I looked up just for my, you know, writing up all this stuff on Frozen. And as of the beginning of NG, he had 19 permanent champion progeny. I know I've personally have finished three more since then. So I'm sure there's, you know, well over 20 now. Um, a buck that was, again, born and bred to be a game changer, and he really was. Um, his other daughter, or another daughter, was uh, a doe named Temple Aquila Freehand. Freehand was one of those bad luck does that probably, if I had to pick our single best ever alpine doe, it was Freehand. Um, but she just had too many things happen to her in life that kept her from reaching her pinnacle. She was the only doe that actually beat Living Free um, after Living Free turned two years old or um, in, in, in regular shows. Um, and, you know, was the year that Living Free won her national champion and scored 95, her last show of the year, she at the Washington State Fair, which is phenomenally competitive, and we always say is where goats go, national champions go to get beat. Um, and that's what happened there is a freehand who had leaked her milk out at the national show and was second place four-year-old, was best in show there, over five other national champions. Um, just really, wow. a truly incredible guy whose, whose life was 
not one of those that you really want to repeat. Um, but she had a son named Handyman, and Handyman went on to be the the key to be the legacy that Freehand left behind. And Handyman has, I don't actually know how many champion daughters, but several, seven or eight at least. Um, and he's noted, he's scored this year at one month shy of 10 years old, and he scored this year at 93. Uh, just really an, an amazing individual. He's a cool buck as well. He's so gentle and kind. Um, even though he's not actually an in-your-pocket buck, he was always a little bit standoffish all his life. But now he's, you know, you could put anything with him. You could put a buck kid with him. You could run him with a bunch of junior does. It didn't matter. He was never out there to, to smash anybody around. And so, and that's the same thing with Living Free. The whole dam line on both sides is just, they're not the mean alpines. They're the kind of alpines that you really want to be around. Um, that come in every day to do their job and aren't going to make a big fuss about it. And then the other thing is freehand, actually, her her maternal side, she was a jack daughter, but her maternal side was our other line of alpines that came down from um, Free Spindle. And she was actually a sister to Free Spindle, who was his best mother. Um, and so she came down from Freethinker, and Freethinker was the mother of Freelance. And um, Spindle's or Freehand's mother, Freely Imagined, was the littermate to Freelance. So again, a lot of a lot of depth of quality there, a lot of consistency there. And and animals that actually they didn't just work for me; they worked for a lot of people. And I think that's one thing that I've tried to incorporate into my genetics is to make them consistent and solid, but also consistent and solid that they'll work outside of our herd. And I think most of Freelance's daughters, most of his, his, his national caliber daughters, none of them were actually here. We did have a few. We actually have a couple now. Um, but most of the, you know, we, we couldn't use it much. It's too closely related until recently. So most of those daughters did their games elsewhere. And, you know, I didn't have 19 permanent champion jack daughters or 23 permanent champion jack daughters. I have, you know, four. And so, you know, most of those animals are living and doing their, their jobs for other people. And, and I really appreciate that the genetics are strong enough to do that. That's, that's amazing. When you were planning, you know, this, this uh, terminal uh, collection or harvesting of, of, of free, um, what was like the process as far as when you were thinking about uh, breedings of these uh, eggs that were harvested and created and embryos created? Like what, what was the thinking as far as the bucks that you were going to use uh, for those embryos? Well, since it was an emergency, I had to use what I had in the tank. Um, and so, and that's a pretty big selection. And so, yes, <laughs> I, you know, I could have used some big name sires like Armand or, some of the others, but I had to have a, a few things kind of had to key in there. First of all, it had to be high, high quality semen. Uh, so it had to be put up by a processor that I trusted a lot. Um, secondly, I just had two butt kids born out of her and she'd only ever had a couple of doe kids in her life. So I really, really wanted to shoot the odds for a doe kid. And I wanted to shoot the odds for a doe kid that would be line bred well enough to be genetically prepotent 
And so in looking at that, I, I chose two bucks. Uh, one was freehand and the other was a buck named Rossini. And um, unfortunately, we did get actually embryos out of both bucks, but only the freehand. I mean, only the, the handyman one, one actually became a kid. So I was I was trying trying to make a dough for me um, because I already had the buck, but and I knew that it would that the being closely related I wouldn't be able to use it extensively if it was a buck, but on the other hand, it it needed to be quality it needed to be prepotent it needed to be something that could be living flash statement. Obviously, I know you talk about having those full brothers, but I have to say. I almost don't know if I would want to part with him just for the connection with that dam that you had, the fact that this is the last living son. Could you talk about the decision to offer him up for the spotlight sale? When he was born and he was a buck, and all the the people around like, well, what are you going to do with him? And I was like, well... (laughs) I think this guy needs to walk on a world stage. So that was, you know, and at that point he was a kid and he was a kid during kidding season. And when you have, when you're milking 50 goats and you're fresh in 60 a year, that's a lot of kids. So he was just a kid, um, but he was a very special kid and, and he made no bones about you know, being just an ordinary thing. He was pretty dramatic right from the start and he was dramatically gorgeous and just stood out. And so my initial, well, he needs to go on a stage, kind of sort of drifted away. And I kept thinking, I, you know, I need to keep this boy. I need to keep this boy. And then I, you know, and, and I kind of toyed around for a bit about um, selling Livingston. I actually offered Livingston up for sale for a while. But, you know, quite frankly, Livingston's just a special. So um, I, don't, I didn't want to sell him either. And. Then, you know, and the, and the bottom line, um, and it comes down to both bucks, is that they need to do more than to live here and breed a few does every year. They need to make a difference. And that's always been something that my mom instilled in me, you know, very early on. She says, whatever you do, make a difference. And, uh, and you don't need to make a big difference, but you have to make some difference. And as much as incredible as this guy is, he's not going to make a difference there. He may continue on with what we have here, which would be wonderful and amazing, but he's not going to make a difference. But someone else will make a difference, and hopefully he'll make a big difference. Well, speaking of making a difference for another herd, for whoever is lucky enough to buy him, uh, what are some notable things that potential buyers should consider as far as what he'll bring to their program potentially first off he is incredibly correct um he's just as sound as a young alpine buck gets um so you know structurally i think he is is as sound and correct as anybody out there um obviously there's some phenomenal mammary systems behind him and certainly Livingston is known for throwing some incredible mammary systems as well. So I think that you can believe that they're going to be sound and correct. Uh, And they're going to milk. There's there's an awful lot of milk there as well. What you also have to realize is, like I said, Living was an ordinary kid, an absolutely flat, ordinary kid. 
Um, we didn't, we took her to one show because we knew she'd be the only kid in the class and we'd get a premium on her. Um, that, that was, you know, end of the year, but she wasn't anything that you were going to go say, Oh my gosh, this one's going to grow up to be a, you know, a, a world, somebody that's going to make a difference in the world. You wouldn't have said that as a yearling. As a two-year-old, you'd say, oh, you know, there's a lot of Florida there, but is it smooth enough? Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe once you drop some body down into it. Um, but, you know, she's really correct on her feet and legs. And she's, you know, got this really amazing front end. And But she, again, she was just this average-sized little brown goat um, with a nice udder, especially from the rear view. Um, especially from the side view review is pretty nice too, but her side view with the extension of forward was always pretty nice. Um, but it's one of those that, you know, it, it took a judge, I think it was actually Mark Baden that um, pulled her out at the district Alpine specialty as a judge and said, this is the one, this is the goat in the ring. She's a year old, we can't do anything with her today, but this is the goat. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I like her too. And I really think she's got a lot of potential, but you know, and that's a, that's a big statement to make. Um, and, you know, he was right. And she just kept every year a little better and a little better and a little better. And, you know, then she got to be six and she was incredible. But here she was just this sort of unassuming brown goat out in the field. So if you're going to be looking for animals which are showstoppers instantly, well, Okay, Frozen himself is, but I think that genetically it's more solid than that. You know, they're just, they're just a little quieter than that. Well, I think, I mean, personally, I prefer an animal where I have to wait and see and not a, a flash in the pan that's going to do awesome as a yearling, two-year-old, or three-year-old, and then they're finished, and and now what do you do, right? You wait for nationals, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, like, I like seeing animals that... Uh, can be shown as six, seven, eight, nine, and still be strong on their feet and legs and have wonderful general appearance and superb mammary systems in production. And that's what you see with all of the animals behind this buck. I mean, you look at, you know, the Yukon daughters, you look at all the free does. I mean, it's just incredible what's going on behind that. Those, those genetics, DNA that are sitting in his veins. <laughs> There's quite a lot of it. But, and the other thing that I was actually kind of looking at his pedigree prior this afternoon, prior to calling and looking back and I always think of genetics as sort of braiding. You have this pattern and you notice where you want to strengthen it a little bit. So you bring something else in and you braid it in and it either works or it doesn't work or, you know, but you've got this, this solid base braid that you're working with. It's you know the solid fibers and the solid colors that, that make it yours. And uh, looking at some of the animals that have been brought in by braiding through different sires and then the maternal sides are all mine. But the, the in, in all of the maternal, even the, the sire's maternal side, that's that's all mine. But if you look at some of the sires, and you know, there's sons of Roshona, and there's sons of you know just different different game changers that have been you know blended into this over over the years, and it's been a lot of years. It doesn't show up on just a simple pedigree uh, because you know, it goes back eleven generations. It just always 
trying to bring in the best that I could to help, not just because it was the best, but to help the pattern, make the pattern complete, um, not to take over the pattern, but to, not to change what is a temple animal, but to make the pattern complete as, you know, and, and better. Um, you know, and, and these actually go back as far back into the Darugestel Alpines. Our original herd name was my mom. Um, before I took over and changed it to, to Tempo, just the Alpine part originally to Tempo in, in uh, 1980, and then we had to change the songs in 2013. Um, but it just, you know, it, it, there's just this constant of bringing in all these different quality animals and looking back over and saying, oh yeah, I remember that one and I remember that one. And, you know, she was, you know, so level or she had such a high rear udder or you know, she was such an incredible production doe, or, you know, she was an amazing domachip doe, or, you know, just these different things that there was just so much different, so much uh, completeness to the pedigree. Yes. No, I agree. I agree. Oh, oh my gosh, John, we're really jinxing <laughs> each other today. Um, <laughs> I want to ask, because I want to back up just a bit, and this is more because we have an opportunity to pick your brain. But one of the things you said about Frozen, and I just want to kind of get the, your insight into this, is that he is an incredibly correct buck and you just really love the appearance of him. And I feel like there's different trains of thoughts on bucks. How much weight do you put into what their phenotype is for what you see in their daughter's um, I know this is kind of off script, but just out of curiosity, in your box, do you want them to be correct in that general appearance and correct in the body capacity and dairy strength? Or like, do you want them, I guess, yeah, do you want that? Or is it more of what they produce at the end? Okay, for me, for me, Jeanette, well, for me as, a person who's shown goats and again had a commercial dairy, and I guess we really haven't dwelled in on the milk production on these animals either. Um, but this is a female industry, period. There is no, and, and not to get but too crude point on it, but the males are only life supports for penis. Um, and <laughs> that's all they are. They're out there making sperm to make doe kids. And so, how much? Do I put on phenotype on a buck? Nothing. Everybody loves to look at a good buck. Now, I'm going to kind of take a little reservation in that. Bucks like to self-destruct. And so bucks, and they tend not to get their feet trimmed as much as other creatures. And, you know, they tend to be out there. And for us, we like to run our bucks a bit wild. So they're out there on five acres of pasture. As they, not the buck kids, but the older bucks. Um so, you know, they may or may not stand up to that quite as much as somebody who lives in a stall and is fed alfalfa all the time. But a young buck, I like to see a correct young buck, and I like any animal to look like its pedigree says it should. I would worry if, excuse me, if Frozen was a massive kid. I would worry if Frozen was extremely wide. I would worry if Frozen wasn't sharp and angular, because that's not his pedigree. And that means he's not genetically sound. So I'm going to look at a buck kid in, in any animal, but a buck kid especially, to make sure that 
he follows his pedigree. He looks like his pedigree should look, and he should be correct um, because correctness is what is, you know, first and foremost about living free. That's the first thing that you ever saw about her was, oh my gosh, you know, she's this. This is what a front end is. Or, you know, the, I remember the appraiser when she's. I can't remember which one it was. So one of them, anyway. So he was going along and he was scoring, her and he's like, oh, and she's got a feet because a lot of our does have a or plus or because I don't actually really um, trim feet as much. I, I believe that I like a functional foot. And so, um, you know, and that's fine. I don't really care. And then I said, and then we walked her over on some concrete for, I can't remember, for some other reason. Um, and he looks at it, he says, wait a minute. Those are e-feet. Where did those come from? <laughs> like, well, <laughs> I trimmed this one. <laughs> and so, you know, that's kind of what I, I want to see in a buck because I want to see that correctness coming through. Uh, I want to see his phenotype look like his pedigree says the phenotype should look. And he's line bred on Yukon Jack and he doesn't actually look like Jack, but he looks like Jackie. Jack's perhaps most um, yes uh, popular daughter. I'm not going to say most famous or best. I'm just going to say most popular daughter because Jackie was incredibly popular. Uh, and she she was just really an amazing individual in terms of personality and and just the number of people that he touched. And he looks and acts like Jackie. Um, he could be a he could be a Jackie son. He's a Jackie sister, but he could be a Jackie son. Um, so that's what I'm gonna look for in a in a young animal. But I'm not gonna keep them based on that. If I get an absolutely gorgeous buck kid out of an absolutely average doe, that isn't gonna mean a thing to me. It's still going to go the same place where all buck kids at average does go. Uh, because I'm going to pick my kids based on the breeding. And the same thing's true with doe kids. I'm going to pick my doe kids in October when I, when I breed those does. Uh, and I'm going to pick out which kids. And if they get born, I keep them. And if they don't get born, I don't keep somebody else instead. And that's where our, I think that's where the consistency in our herd and just the timelessness has happened is that I don't, you know, don't often get swayed by a pretty face. That's, that's one, you know, that's a wonderful way to put it. I, you don't get swayed by a pretty face. I like that. Uh, when we talk about, you know, getting there, the build up to spotlight sale and the spotlight sale itself, um, we as an industry often do not follow up with the animals that have had successful sales. What have your past spotlight sale animals done for their new herds or the breed itself? So the bottom line is very few of them let you know. Um, mm. It's you, you very, very rarely hear back how those animals do. And they don't know why that is. Uh, it does make it a little more difficult to walk an animal across the stage that you care a lot about because as soon as the bid hits the minimum bid, they're gone and you have absolutely no control of where they're going um, or, or anything. It, they're just gone. You have no knowledge. You're looking out into a sea of spotlights and you can't even tell who's bidding when you're on the stage. So you just have to focus on doing the best job you can handling. But the simple bottom line is for the very most part, spotlight sale buyers don't keep in touch. Do you find that frustrating or disconcerting when, you know, you're offering an animal like this up, you know? 
Um, probably I used to, but now I realize it's not because they're not getting in touch with me. It's because they're living their own lives and they're right. doing their own thing and they are busy and they're hopefully busy doing things that are good for the animals. And I think that probably most of them are, but they simply are living their lives in the, you know, the priority of, oh, I need to let the breeder know. I don't think that's a whole lot greater with a spotlight tail kid than it is with any kid or any goat that they buy. It's, you know, they're theirs. They aren't mine anymore. They're theirs. And what they do with them and how they turn out, um, that's beyond my control. And yes, sometimes you hear about them and sometimes it's wonderful and it's great to hear that they're doing well. Um, but, um, you know, sometimes you don't. And, or sometimes you hear from somebody else, you know, Hey, I, I was judging a show and, and I flipped open the tattoo and there was your, you know, spotlight sale kid from two or three years ago. And, um, and, you know, so sometimes they hear sort of sideways how they're doing, but you know, there isn't, there isn't a lot of follow-up and I don't know that there should be because once the people buy the animal, I wouldn't want the world crowding into my house and asking me how that animal's doing. I would right. want that animal to be, and it, to be mine in my barn and part of my management. And that's where I'd want it to, you know, where I kind of want it to end. And if I chose to take that animal out and show it to the world, great. Um, you know, for good, bad, or indifferent, for whatever the reason is. But um, you know, I've had, I've also purchased several spotlight sale animals over the years, and. Some have made a dramatic difference in the herd. Some made it quietly through a sun where the doe herself maybe did or didn't do any dramatic things. Some of them, like other animals, you know, they, you know, they did or didn't develop. Um, okay, you know, we had some that had some health problems. Um, so it isn't, you know, they, they go home, they walk across the stage, but then they go home and they become goats. And I think that's sometimes hard for people to realize when the hype is on, is that when they go home, they're still going to be goats and they're going to be somebody else's goats. You know, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And, and but you put that masterfully. I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself, nor do I have the capacity to. That was perfect. Daniel, did you want to ask any parting questions before I ask my final question? You ask yours, and then if I have any follow-up on it, I will ask. Okay. Well, I I think all of us, including the listeners that are listening right now, have realized just how special <clears throat> uh, SGCH Tempo Aquila Living Free was. And she deserves that special spot in your heart. Uh, is there any fun, memorable uh, memories that you have with her, either showing her or just having her in the barn that you'd like to share with anybody here? Um, the Probably the most memorable moment was when she was being acupunctured in St. Paul. And she was a business goat. Um, she wasn't an in-your-pocket goat. She was a business goat. And she didn't like her hind end being messed with. She was always a terror to, to shave her at her. Um, and I mean, she'd go in and, and knock her 
twice a day, every day. She's a business coach, and you know, she had her six three thousand pound lactations, uh, five I guess was five three thousand pound lactations. Um, but when I was had the and and with her with her injuries, um, she actually had multiple injuries. It turns out she had fallen. At least we we think that she had fallen ten feet off of a newly piled up manure pile. We cleaned the barn prior to appraisal and had stacked the manure quite high. And we think that she actually climbed up there and fell off. Um, anyway, so with her injuries, she was frustrated. You could tell she, she, I mean, she would do whatever you wanted her to do. She was in and out of the trailer on our ride back to St. Paul. Um, you know, we, we got her back there and she was, you know, I was knocking her on the ground because I was afraid to jump her on the milk stand. And the acupuncturist came and so she's poking needles into the scoot all over her body. And of course the scoot doesn't like to be messed with. So she was, you know, voicing her complaints and we went and she's like, she doesn't like, you know, the crazy or the acupuncture. She doesn't like this. She doesn't like this. She doesn't like this. And I said, no, she doesn't. But that's not just because it hurts. It's because that's her. And she doesn't like any of that. Um, and so I was leaning against the fence and I had her head kind of under my arm and she fell asleep. Oh, wow. And I think, you know, you know that, was, that was kind of the, the moment where she finally, for the only time in her life, she's like, I don't, I'm giving this over to you. Mm-hmm. That's special. That is a hundred percent special. And because of it, I became an acupuncturist. That moment right there was so special to you that you wanted to learn the trade enough to be able to share it with any other animals that might be having difficulties with their body. That's that's pretty special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was. So I mean, yeah, there's a, a lot of special moments with her, but for me, most of them occurred outside of the ring than inside of the ring she was a you know, she was a business coach and she, when she walked in the ring she walked in the ring to win and she wasn't you know a difficult to show doll or anything like that she was just she was going to go in there and she was going to get the job done and you know that was kind of what it what it was all about with her so she was never she was a doe that i couldn't give to someone else to show because she didn't tolerate other people um but then that's also true of most of my top does is that they, they pick me and say, and it's not because I spoil them. It's because they pick me. And so, you know, weft is just like that and showing weft this year um, after the last three years that we've had and what she went through this year um, was, you know, that's, that's living for sister. Um, and so it was, it was a lot there. Yeah, it's definitely, a maternal and paternal line that is memorable, special. There's a lot of blue ribbon medallions hanging off of a lot of necks. Uh, it's it's a really, really special combination of your legacy and your animal's legacies. Uh, so folks, if you are looking for something as special as this and this is really a once in a lifetime never going to happen again get it while the iron is hot tempo aquila frozen in time et lot number one american alpine buck consigned by dr Mm -hmm. atkin and tempo farm uh he's he's the buck for you 
And I'd like to add in here that now this is, over the the last few years in the spotlight sale, there's been more and more syndicated bucks, and they're working. And so, I would personally want to see Frozen. Obviously, I want him to sell well, but I want to see him make a difference. And I think that if he, you know, the the more people that can be involved, the bigger difference he can make. And I hope he does well for you, and for, more importantly, for the buyers. Dr. Acton, if people wanted to find out more about your farm uh, and you and, and, you know, Ruby's journal and everything, where uh, can they find <laughs> out? <laughs> okay. Well, I only have the one Facebook account. So the Facebook account is just under my name. So that's where Ruby's journal is. Although I have to admit, I haven't um, accepted any friend requests in the last um, several months just because there's so many scammers out there, but mm-hmm. you can still get into it sideways. Um, and then our, our um, website is at www.ruhi, G is in goat, E, S is in Sam, T, E, L, L, E, dot com. Rugestel is our original herd name. So um, it's still. We, for sentimental reasons, have left it be the domain of the website, and because that's where everything started from. So we have a special section up on Frozen there, plus everything else is on there on the herd. And there's quite a bit of history on the herd as well. Um, it's always a work in progress, so there's a lot of things that are just a bunch of pictures or just a bunch of thoughts put up there. But um, there's a lot of history. The history of my mom is there. The history of where we started is there. Um, the history of a lot of our original foundation animals are under Lest We Forget, which sadly is where Living Free is now. Um, and that's our animals that have come before. Um, and so there's a lot of history there as well as what our functioning main herd is doing now as well. Yes. And, and I think I can speak for Danielle and I, and we are bowing down. We are grateful that you came on to talk about uh, your book and, and talk about the legacy behind them. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's been great. Yes. Thank you. And I cannot wait to see Frozen walk across that stage. I am going to be watching from my computer with bated breath and just (laughs) can't wait to see what goes on with him and where he ends up. And I'm not sure I'm going to be able to watch. No. I I didn't watch last year. (laughs) Actually, last year we had to go home early. Um, I had to get back from my cancer surgery and we had other IVF happening. And so we left before the sale and we were actually in a Walmart parking lot in South Dakota when the sale happened. And we pulled into the, you know, we saw it and we pulled over there um, and found some Wi-Fi. actually saw the town and we tried to find some Wi-Fi and we finally found it in the Walmart parking lot. Um, and so we're sitting there in a Walmart parking lot watching the sale on our phones and drinking red wine, box red wine out of red solo cups while our kids <laughs> broke the records for standards. <laughs> like, okay, well, this was a, maybe a little more memorable than drinking champagne in the spotlight sale room, but it was somehow it was easier than if I'd have been there watching her walk across the stage. So um, I don't, I actually don't know where I will be. I have to. I guess I'll just have to decide that night. I have to stay at the convention this year, so I have other work to do after that. So I can't just run away. (laughs) I don't know what I'm going to do. It's going to be kind of hard. 
Yeah. And well, I'm sure if you need, there's going to be a Walmart parking lot or <laughs> another spot where you can replicate that success of last year with this red solo <laughs> cup, some red wine and just watching it from afar. If that's where you feel you need to be. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I might be just hiding in my room with my dogs. I don't blame you on that either. Well, yeah, or he'll probably go down and watch the sale while I hide. <laughs> well, Frozen might say, hold my boxed wine and watch this as he breaks records. Because yeah. I'm telling you, he's special. Like, I hope he does really well. He's he's a cool box. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. I've had special box walk across the stage before that didn't sell very well. So I, I'm a little scared. But hopefully people won't be afraid of him because of the hype. Um, That's right. Hopefully they will. They will want him as opposed to being afraid of him. I agree. I agree. Well, fingers crossed. And I can't wait to see him cross that stage. Thank you so much again for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And everybody, this has been Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. I'm John. And I'm Danielle. Leave a legacy. We'll catch you on the next one. Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast, is not an affiliate of the American Dairy Goat Association. All opinions or information regarding the ADGA does not represent the registry.